Hi. Um, it's good to see you guys. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Psalm 73. Um, so our church is doing a sermon series, picking out psalms and talking about them. It's awesome. Um, so psalms, um, a, a huge crucial point of the book of Psalms, it's this concept and this idea of sanctuary. Um, sanctuary, um, how people talk about it, it's a place of safety. Um, it's a, a safe haven. It's a place of protection. Um, it's a place you cannot be harmed. Um, it's a place to come and breathe. Um, the book of Psalms says that the whole earth is God's sanctuary. It's God's house. And, and the idea that the whole earth and the whole galaxy and the whole everything is God's like protection place, it's kind of hard to understand. It's hard to kind of come to this place of like the, the, the ownership of that. So people need to think a lot smaller, I think, to then get bigger. So, um, so, so our college program has this thing for uh, college kids called the Anthem House. And so, so every school year, there are seven uh, college kids who, who spend the entire school school year at the Anthem House, and a part of that, that is they have to get up super early every day, like at six in the morning or five in the morning, and they all get together, and they all create this, this concept of sanctuary, and that's like the, the first thing that these college kids are taught is about the sanctuary of God and, and kind of the heartbeat of God, and the, the most important thing about sanctuary is so it's this idea that God is present. He is, he is here. Um, for it to be God's sanctuary, um, he needs to be there. And so they have, um, so every morning they have this candle um, that, that they almost say the same thing kind of, kind of every morning. And they'll say on the table, there is a candle and the candle is burning and the flame, the flame is symbolic of the presence of God and he is here. It's very easy to forget that the presence of God is here, but he is here. And they say this every morning, like God's here because that's how they, they need to start the day. It's this, this idea that God is here. And then they burn some incense, because biblically, the incense are symbolic of the prayers of the saints, that they, they, they fill, you know, that they fill God's courtroom, and he, he, he inhales these prayers, and he says, yes, these are good, and these are beautiful, you know, and like he delights in prayers, and, and the idea that the prayers of the saints are delightful to God is this simple fact that our prayers don't fall to the ground, right? They go somewhere. They, they fill up space. They, they go up to the heavens. They, they do stuff. So they first, they have this candle that they burn. They say, God's here. And then they burn the incense and the, the incense starts to, I mean, these are college kids. And, 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 and then they're telling people our prayers matter. You know, our prayers matter and they're good. And then what they do is they pass around this pot of honey and then they dip their finger in it and they taste it. And they tell each other that, that, that there are times that in the Bible that the things that are taught or the things that are said or in our daily lives, things are hard or taste sour or bitter, but God is sweet. God is sweet. His word is sweet. It's always sweet. It's always good. Even though there are bad things that happen, God is good. And they take the honey, and that's how they begin their day every day in the anthem house. It's beautiful. 
But the thing that is most profound, I believe truly, is the dipping of the honey. It's this idea, because it's so easy to forget that God is good. You know, whenever you see how things are out there, it's easy to forget. And, and you're constantly telling yourself, God is good, 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 holy, awesome, awesome, God is good. But then you see everything that happens, and it's like this, this paradox that we all of a sudden find ourselves in, and then we have this pot of honey. <laughs> that we tell ourselves, I got to remember, I got to remember, I got to remember, this is good. God is good. There's this paradox. Um, coming to church, having services, singing songs, it is embracing this paradox. It's, it, it's, it's truly embracing who we are as human and coming into the presence of God who is divine and holy and good. And those two things coming together can be super awesome or super hard. And so... I'm going to give you the opportunity to see behind the curtains for just a second. So each Tuesday, there is a group of pastors who get together to talk about our services. And it tends to be over the top. We kind of talk about every little part of the services every Tuesday, right? Every Tuesday, we talk about each song and we talk about, we just talk about everything. We pick apart the sermons and we talk about it. But we've done this forever. It's like our thing, right? So there's seven people that are, that are in this crew at this table and we're talking about our services. So, um, so in... June of 2017, this past June, there was a Tuesday that for me, I will hold on to forever because there was conflict. And, um, and the thing that had happened had been the previous Sunday, the, the congregation had sung this song and the song was called King of My Heart. Okay, and the song has this chorus, like it's singing, it's singing about how awesome God is, right? Like, God, you are the bomb, you know, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. And then the chorus is, you will never let me down, you'll never let me down, you'll never let me down, you'll never let me down, you will never let me down. And then they sing it like 500 times, that you will never let me down. They're singing this to God. And Pastor Allen was like, it's just not true, okay? Like, that's not true. And then Jory, who is the pianist, who's like fire, okay? Like, um, like she's like my favorite ever. And like, and, and like, she goes, but it is true. And then at that point, I'm like, well, technically, you know, God has dropped the ball for me quite a lot. And he has let me down. And Jory turned her gaze to me and it was like fire. And she's like, how can you say that? I'm like, because I'm human and God disappoints me all the time. And Jory looked mortified. Like, how could you say that? <laughs> and then Pastor Allen came in behind my back. He was like, well, technically, you know, it's all, and it was awesome. And then it just turned into this thing of like, does God ever drop the ball for us, you know, and in perspective. And it's just this whole thing, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I could sing that song. Like, you will never let me down. You'll never let me down because you do every day you let me down. I don't know. And then for me, it was this perplexing idea. Here is Jory, someone who I 
uh, like she is amazing and she's brilliant and, and her and God have something. And it's like, here she's saying, how could you ever say that? Like that convicted my heart. Like, because for me, I was like, no, I can honestly say that. So for me, it put me on this path of like church services, the things that, that are sung, our theology, who is God, who am I, you know, what are we doing? Can we be honest about things or, or who is, do you know what I'm saying? There was a conflict and there was a problem and there was confusion and I'm still kind of confused. But to, to answer this problem, it's found in Psalm 73, actually. Um, and that's kind of the intro. But before we get into Psalm 73, I need to talk about who the author is um, because the author is going to help us um, kind of understand about singing and praise and, and the things that God hears because the, the, the author of this Psalm has name is Asaph. And Asaph, he is the grandfather of praise songs. Like he created them. It was like his idea or his concept. He was so good at them that King David paid him to sing them, right? Like, he, dude, you're so much better at that than me. How about you do that? Um, so Asaph, if you want to find that about him, he's kind of all over First Chronicles. He was a chief priest. He was a poet. He was a singer. And in fact, he was one of the most famous singers. His job, his job had been to stand there in the sanctuary of God, the safe place of God, the temple of God before the Ark of the Covenant, like right here and to sing songs. That was his job. Like he sung before God in private, right? It was just him and God, like, oh. Ugh. Um, so that was what he did. And so, um, and so who he had been, like his whole identity was, he was a chief priest. So he knew, he knew everything. He was, he was a holy guy. He was a singer. He was a poet. And, um, and then furthermore, after he Died, his descendants carried it on. Um, they were called the sons of Asaph. And, and then the sons of Asaph, they just continued on and on and on. And then they turned then into a choir. And that's the origin of choral singing um, is they grew. And it was the temple singers from that point on. Isn't this interesting? And then praise music began. You know, but that's the origin of like church music is Asaph and Psalm 73 is his song, right? And so if you want to ask the question, what is it that we do when we sing to God or come before God or, or, or offer things to God? You go to Asaph because he knows it. He created it. He was the grandfather. He was like the Abraham of, of, of church song. So Psalm 73, here it is, and here's how it begins. So as a congregation, how about all this say this together? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked." That's how the first praise song began. 
<laughs> like, I mean, like, think about that. Like, like that's how, how like, the first praise song began. Like, he's, he's this guy. He's, like, this holy guy. He probably has a hat, okay? Like, I just picture hats. And, and he's, like, and he's there before the ark, and he says, God, surely you are good. However, <laughs> however, I almost slipped because I saw people outside the sanctuary and I envy them. They are awesome. I want what they have. And that's how this praise movement begins with this complete brutal honesty. Again, who is this guy? He, was, he is a chief priest, right? He was brought up in the priesthood. He is a, a singer. He is a, a guy with a heart of praise. He was the guy who was brought up in private school to be a pastor, Right, um, he 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 went to all the the Sunday schools. He he did everything correct. He probably went to seminary, and and then he he got out and he he saw who everyone else was, and he was like, "Wait a second, right? Wait a second, I okay, I thought." Wait a second. You know, like, like he is the guy who did everything correct and brought him up into this path. And then he saw everything out there that was the opposite of his experience, but everyone was successful. Okay. So the Psalm continues on. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have made it, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world, pretentious with arrogance. They were the latest fashions in violence, pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air, loudmouth disturbing the peace, people actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies, they lap up where words, what's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody tending the store? The wicked get by with everything. They have made it, piling up riches. I have been stupid to play by the, have a, by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's, that's what, a slap in the face for every walk out the door. What's up? Okay, like, like pictures. Again, who is this guy? Chief priest of the time. David pays him to sing songs in front of the ark, which is like no one goes in there except like the holiest of holiest people. And he is singing that song, right? Like, so, so he starts out by saying, God, surely you are good. However, let me be honest. You have kind of let me down. You've let me down because there's this idea that Jewish people have, and there's this idea that people have, and there's this idea that I have, that, that if I do good things, good things will come to me. And if I do bad things, bad things will come to me. And so it's like this idea of if I do everything you say, and if I, you know, follow the Bible perfectly, and if I do everything my parents say or whoever says, then everything's going to be awesome. But then he sees, he comes out of his context, and he sees the evil people, the people that don't know God, the people who have turned their backs on God. And then he's saying, they're actually super successful. 
right? Like, like, here are people who have no idea who God is. However, everything's awesome for them. And then here I am and things are hard. Right? Here I am, and like I've done everything right and correct, and they are awesome. They have no idea who, they, who you are. And in fact, they're doing the opposite of what, um, what I think they should be doing, but there is blessing that is being poured out upon them. Like they are getting everything, and they have power, and people are paying attention to them. God, do you see what they're doing? Because he even cries out to God and says, God, do you see that? God, are you even there? God, do you see anything that's happening? Because I'm doing everything correct and you're blessing them. That's what's happening here. This is how this psalm begins. Love it, right? Honesty, beautiful, it's good. There's a sense that I get from, from the author. There's a sense of entitlement. Um, he is entitled to the blessings of God. He's entitled to everything that the evil people are getting. And he's like, I'm envious of that. There's a sense of entitlement. So back in college, uh, um, so I was going through this fairy tale. So I'm all about fairy tales, especially the, the old ones that are horrible and like, yee. Um, so there's this fairy tale. I forget the actual fairy tale, but how the fairy tale began, it was so hopeful. It was the first sentence said, whenever a person is born, the only thing that they're guaranteed is that tragedy is going to happen. And at the end the end of it all, they are going to die. So this fairy tale begins by saying, the only thing that is guaranteed to someone who is born is tragedy is going to happen. And in the end, you are going to die. And I thought about that and I continually think about that and think that's totally 100% correct. The only thing that can be promised to someone is that bad things are going to happen. And then in the end, you're going to die. Everyone here is going to die. I can promise you that. And I can promise bad things are going to happen. That's it. Um, so on the sense of entitlement, the only thing that you are entitled to, and the only thing that I'm entitled to are, bad things are going to happen. And at the end, you're going to die. Then I began to think, what happens if bad things don't happen, right? What happens when bad things don't happen? Because bad things don't always happen. Sometimes like heaven cracks through the badness or the earthquakes a bit and heaven shines through, or there's these places that there's shimmers of God's grace. And I call it God's grace because when bad things don't happen, that's grace. And that's not to be expected. If something is expected, it's not grace. That's just expected. But when bad things don't happen, when what you're entitled to doesn't happen, that is God's grace. When heaven crashes kind of into earth, when times that are least expected and, and you know, that's, but here's the thing, how our culture perceives things, it's the other direction, right? Especially us in the church. We believe that we are entitled to awesome things. We are entitled to good, beautiful, successful, happiness, 
harps. You know, harps are playing and clouds and everything is beautiful. And, and this is our expectation of our daily lives. And whenever bad things happen, why God? And then our fists thrust into the air. And we're like, how can you be good if this bad thing just happened? You know, why did, you know, why did, why, 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 why? Because our norm and our expectation is everything should be good. You see, it's the other way around. Our normal as humans, our normal as people who occupy the earth is bad things happen. Things are hard. I have skin and bone and blood, and I will probably get a disease. I have a speech impediment, and I talk poorly. I am not the body I wish I was. I do not have the finances. I, like, like, I am not entitled to be the most successful person. I am not entitled to be the most handsome person. I'm not entitled to have the most perfect family. I am not... But whenever my kids obey me just once, God's grace, you know, whenever a conflict ends in peace, that's God's grace. But am I shocked when conflict happens? Why? Why? You should expect conflict to happen. You should expect bad things to happen. But when heaven crashes into the crap of the earth, that's grace. And so what's happening here in the psalm is it's this thing of entitlement. It's this thing of, uh, um, this thing of like, God, I've done everything you told me to do. I'm entitled to all your good things, but all the good things are happening to these evil people. And everyone is following them and the temple is empty. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? And it's a sense of entitlement. How would things be different if whenever brilliant things happened, when good things happened, when conflict didn't happen, when you and your husband or you and yourself have a brilliant date, you celebrate that as God's grace. When you actually enjoy your job, you celebrate that as God. You are a God who gives good jobs sometimes, and we really love you. You know, like We celebrate the good things instead of blame God for the bad things. This would be a huge shift here in the church culture to not blame God for the bad, but celebrate God for the good and the grace. Because when the good crashes into the bad and grace happens, this is place of sanctuary. It's like this, you know, and people see the grace of God. We feel the grace of God. Like it is happening to us. What is this? This is a holy place. This is a place of sanctuary and safety. And, and this, this idea of entitlement, that this is what Aesop is kind of like experiencing and thinking about and processing through in the psalm. And so here it continues on. Surely in vain I have kept my pure, my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long have, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Okay, so this is the place that everything turns. 
But from, from the outside, for me, I would say this would be him saying, I quit. Okay, I quit like because he's at this place. He's like, surely I have done all of this in vain. Like surely everything that I have held valuable, surely everything that I've done and I've washed my hands in innocence. Like he's saying like, I am a holy dude. I have dedicated my life and my soul to your service and I sing to you every day. And it's pointless. Surely all of this is pointless. And then he says, so as I think about this and I ponder this, as I, I see all the, the evils and what they get and how they're successful and how I'm not, and, and I'm trying to understand all this. And he's like, it's like a punishment. He feels like he is in constant turmoil and punishment. So, so I tend to overthink things a lot. It's ridiculous. And I tend to overthink things. And so this part of the psalm, I kind of get. Like, like he is tormented by the thoughts of like simply, man, if God is truly good, then how did he do this? And God, if God is truly good, and if he said this, how come it's not happening? And if, if God is, and there are so many thoughts that I have had, and I'm sure everyone else here has had too, if we're totally honest, of like, how could God let this happen? Do you tend to overthink the things of God? Because if you don't, I think you should, because it tends to draw you closer. Because if you begin to overthink the things of God instead of just swallowing it for face value, it should cause this conflict. And what this guy does and what he's brilliant in in his Psalms is he causes conflict saying, have you ever thought about this? Because it's in those conflicts that are not the problem for Asaph. Those are the things that draws him in. This is the crux of the Psalm. Right? Because then he says, this drives me insane. This drives me crazy. This is punishment. This is torment. Until I entered your sanctuary. And then everything became clear. This is a part of the psalm that if it had been a song, the drummer is like, do, 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 do. You know, like it's building up. And everyone's like, whoa you know, hands in the air. Like this is the song part where everyone's like, we're all in. He's like, this has been a mess. This has been confusing. This, I don't know. I'm, and everything I am is confused until I enter your sanctuary. And then I see their fate. And then everything comes clear. It's like he comes into the sanctuary of God and everything is made clear. He's doing this psalm from the perspective of he's seen these people over here who are apart from God. That they, that they have no idea idea who God is, and they are super successful. To see these people, it happens outside of the place he typically is. He is typically singing songs in the temple, in the sanctuary of God, in front of the ark, right? And so th there's this idea that his posture is out here. He's seeing these people, and out here, everything doesn't make sense. But in here, Everything is clear. He enters the sanctuary, and it's like the song fills his lungs. Here's how he continues. Here it is. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like 
a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me right you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you see the shift that happens? So he is outside this sanctuary, this idea of the safety of God, the presence of God, if that's even possible. And he's seen these people, the, the evil people, he says, the people that are apart from God who are doing the opposite. And he feels this sense of entitlement. Like, why, is, why don't I get the success that they get? Why are people following them and not me? God, why am I not what I'd hoped for? All these things. And you're able to fill in the blanks. All those things that you have been dissatisfied about that you feel entitled to have, that you feel entitled to be, you can fill in the blanks here and say, God, why? And out here, this doesn't make sense. And out here, this doesn't make sense. And out here, even the sanctuary doesn't make sense. And he is shaking his fists at God. But then sanctuary happens. A sanctuary is the presence of God on earth. It is the candle burning. God is here. Have you forgotten? It is the, the incense that is the prayers of the saints that fills the space that goes up. And God delights in the prayers. This psalm is a prayer. It is the honey that gets passed around and you dip your finger in and say, even in bitter times, God is sweet. And he, he comes into this sanctuary. The drums begin to pound. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like these scales fall from his eyes eyes as if his perspective, his eyesight, his heart is different in the sanctuary of God than it is outside the sanctuary of God, right? Sanctuary is different than everywhere else. And it's a perspective thing because technically, as I said in the beginning, the whole earth is God's sanctuary, but do you see it? So we got to begin small. So he comes into the sanctuary of God and he's like, it all makes sense to me now. It's all clear to me now. Those people are in trouble, right? Those people are in trouble. They're on slippery ground. Sure, they're successful out there, but in here, those people don't make sense, right? Out there, they make sense. People are following them. They are successful. But inside the sanctuary of God, they are like a dream, a fantasy. They will not be successful in this place, in this sanctuary, in the presence of God. And then he begins to shift his gaze and says, you are everything I need. Do you see a change in perspective here? At the beginning, he's saying, they are, they have power, they have money, they have everything. I want that. I envy that. I'm on slippery ground. And then in the sanctuary, his, I, the scales fall off and he says, you are everything I need. You are in every, you on earth are the only thing that I desire. How did that shift happen so fast? 
It's this entitlement, this heart of entitlement shifts because he sees where he is standing, like the ark is right there. And the ark is symbolic of the presence of God. It's the burning candle, you know? It's like, oh, I forgot, you're right here. How dare I say, are you out to lunch, <laughs> you know? And so he's like, here, you are everything I need. You are my full portion. You are my full portion. That means you give me the things that I need, and that's way too much, you know? You give it all to me. I don't need that because you are more. You are this full portion. And there's this whole shift in perspective. He, before he was in the sanctuary, had this idea of, of like, man, I feel hopeless. I feel alone. This whole thing I am doing is in vain. This is dumb. Then he comes in the sanctuary and he's like, praise be to God. You are everything that I need. You are, you satisfy me. You give me more than I need. God, you fill my, like, it's like this, like, these people are two different people. Do you see that? Like the beginning of this, then he enters in the sanctuary and it's like, who are you? I love it. Because then it begs the question, what is different about the sanctuary of God? How would our questions be different in the sanctuary of God compared to our questions outside the sanctuary of God? Like, I mean, just like, hold on. I mean, let's just play around with it. The questions that you ask about your husband, do you ask them outside the sanctuary? I pity your husband, or inside the sanctuary. Outside the sanctuary, your marriage feels hopeless. Inside the sanctuary, it's like, God, you see me. You pour blessings out upon me. You are here. Whenever you're sick, do you bring your sickness to God outside the sanctuary of God or inside the sanctuary of God? Outside the sanctuary of God, it feels like there is no hope and the promises are not being met. But inside the sanctuary of God, things make sense and healing is possible or whatever, but he is enough. The job you have, your, the questions you ask, the, you know, is God good? The b battles that are happening, the poverty that is, does the church confront God outside the sanctuary? Or do you come into the sanctuary, seeing him right here, knowing that your prayers are heard as first priority and that he is sweet and good no matter what type of God? When you sing the song, you will never let me down, never let me down, never let me down, never let me down. Are you singing that song outside the sanctuary or inside the sanctuary? Because if you sing that song outside the sanctuary, it's not really true because he lets us down all the time. But if you sing it inside the sanctuary of God, it is always true. He will never, ever, ever let you down. Because inside the sanctuary, inside the presence, when you know that your God has your back and like you are resting in his peace and presence and safety, then everything that doesn't make sense makes sense. And all the sad things are simply untrue. And it's like you bask in the reality of that place that heaven has crashed into earth. And this is a sanctuary of God. And that's how this Psalm ends. Here it is. 
But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Right? So like, this is a dude who sings songs before the presence of God. And he says, so as for me, it's good for me to be right here. Right? But he's been envying the people out there. He's like, that's not for me. It's good for me to be right here singing these songs and singing these praises right here. Because right here, everything makes sense. So... Um, there was this time, this is one of my favorite things ever. There was this time, I had this college kid, um, she was 21. And, and so, and she was a part of the Anthem House. And then I had this college volunteer who had been older. She was 56. Heaven. And she was just brilliant and just really like powerful and brilliant. And I, she's great. So anyway, um, so Valerie, who is the volunteer and Katie, who is the kid, they were going to set up a time to hang out. And so as Valerie was coming to talk to Katie, she got a phone call finding out that her friend had just died. It was totally unexpected. And so Valerie, to be honest, she should have called Katie and said, so I probably can't come right now. But Valerie is a powerhouse and said, I'm going to do it anyway. And so she shows up to her appointment to talk to Katie. And so as Katie sees Valerie, um, um, she can sense on Valerie's face that there's a problem. There's something that just happened. And Kay says, Valerie, tell me what's going on. And Valerie just breaks, okay? Like, because Katie's like the first person that she's telling about her friend. Okay, just picture this. There's this 57-year-old person, and then there's this tiny little college girl, right? And here's this 57-year-old woman falling apart, crying. And here's Katie. And in her head, it's like, I don't know what to do. How do I respond to this? You know, and, and Valerie's just being vulnerable. Like, everything is bad right now. And her friend just died. And Katie, she took her by the hand, and she took her upstairs, and she sat Valerie down. And Valerie, she was just bawling. And Katie didn't say anything. And she pulled out a candle, and she put it at the center of the table, and she lit the candle. And both her and Valerie already knew what that candle was symbolic of, symbolic of the presence of God. She didn't have to say anything. God was here. And then she pulled out the the incense and she didn't say a word and she started to burn the incense and the scent of the incense started to spill the space that they were in and then she produced the bowl of honey and she offered it to Valerie because the thing that Valerie was experiencing at the time was really bitter and painful and by offering the honey it was her saying God is good and they didn't say a word, and they just sat there and cried. 
what had happened was Katie created a safe place, a sanctuary of the truths of God. And that is one of the most beautiful stories Valerie will say that she has ever experienced. And it took this moment of pain to bring it into her. Because in the sanctuary, everything makes sense. Even death makes sense. At the heart of the sanctuary is an altar. And that's why the idea of communion makes sense for us. It's like our grace and our salvation, the focal point is broken bones, torn flesh, spilled blood. What? Out there? That makes no sense at all. But in here, it makes all the sense ever. And there's the opportunity that we all have to proclaim something that just doesn't make sense to anyone else. It is the truth that Jesus came and he died and was perfect and that his bones were broken and his flesh was torn and his blood was spilled and that his grace was poured out upon all of us who believe. And this is what is at the centerpiece of our sanctuary. And no matter where you are, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how many times you have felt like God has let you down and dropped the ball and failed, when you come to that altar in this sanctuary, I believe that you can say with 100% integrity, God has never let me down and God has never failed me and he will always be here for me and he always has my back and God is good. So I'm gonna say a prayer and then after that, I want to invite you to come up and experience the sanctuary of the Lord. God, we thank you for who you are and the places that you create for us. God, we thank you that you create places of safety, places of perspective, places of hope, places of healing, places that crash into the hard spots. God, we thank you for the grace that you give that goes against the entitlement that we believe that we deserve. God, take our entitlement away. Help us to see all the places that you have crashed into our stories. Turn us upside down to not blame you for the bad, but celebrate you for all the good. Help us to be people of praise. Help us to sing songs that are true and honest because you love them. God, in this place, help us see the image of the candle and the truth that you are here. And the truth that our prayers, you hear them and you love them no matter what they are. And that they fill your space and they do stuff. 
Christ community, the prayers that you pray, God loves them. He hears them. And in times of hardship or pain or confusion, the image of the honey, that even when things feel like everything is bad, God, you are good. And this is the image you paint here in the crucifixion, that even when your body was broken and your blood was spilled and your bones were, you know, God, that this was so good. God, we thank you for the table that you have prepared for us, no matter where we are, no matter what we've been experiencing, no matter our disbeliefs, our confusion, our anger, that you invite us into a place of sanctuary, into a place of hope, into a place that we are able to experience peace. Thank you, Jesus.